This upcoming concert season will be all about the boots, and Tecovis is your stop for the best in Western style. Tecovis has seasonal and limited edition offerings this spring and summer, including men's and women's boots, apparel, hats, bags, and more. All Tecovis boots are made by hand in a time-honored tradition with timeless styles that are always on trend. And Tecovis has first wear comfort with little to no break-in period. It's hard to find this level of comfort paired with this level of style. Stop by your local Tecova store, have a complimentary drink or two, that's WCB style, and shop new styles. The smell of fresh leather and friendly staff are at your service. Many stores even have leather custom branding to make your boots truly personalized. And with regular live music and events, there's no in-store experience like it. If you can't make it into a store, just visit tecovas.com. That's T-E-C-O-V-A-S.com. They offer free shipping on all boots, as well as free returns and exchanges, and ship right to your door. Go to tecovas.com and find your new favorite pair of boots today. Fishing like a local isn't just about catching fish. It's about connecting with the environment and the people who call it home. It's about hearing the stories and traditions that have been passed down for generations and sharing unforgettable moments with the people you meet along the way. Fishing like a local is having an experience that stays with you forever. And with Fishing Booker, you can experience it too, no matter where you are. Discover your next adventure on Fishing Booker. So we went up to where I'd shot it, and, you know, when I made the shot, it was quartering away pretty pretty hard. Um, but I still had put that the crosshairs right between that back shoulder and, um, you know, felt confident in the shot that I had made. Um, and so it took us a little while even to find any blood um to be able to track it uh so you know for a, a few minutes there was kind of that nerve-wracking feeling of man i hope i didn't miss but oh you got her dude she's down let's go dude i just shot a deer of a lifetime freaking smoked him one with nature and if you're a believer one with god Definitely gets your heart pumping. Boy, you are in trouble. Fall Obsession Podcast. All right, back for another Fall Obsession Podcast episode here on whatever network you guys might be viewing or streaming on. Appreciate y'all tuning in. Um, Our Fall Obsession Podcast is driven by Ridge Rock Hunt Company and the fine folks over there. We'll talk more about. Derek and Lacey and what they do um, later on today. I'm Sam. I'm one of your podcast hosts. Thank you guys for tuning in again. On here with our other podcast hosts and Fall Obsession Vice President up in Minnesota, Drew Tordick. Good to see you, buddy. Hey, Sam. How's it going today? Good, man. Just uh, fighting this Texas heat down here. It's uh, it's getting a little ridiculous. I'm ready for fall. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's been warm up here, too. Uh, we finally had a couple of cool nights, but overall it's been pretty warm. Yeah. Yeah, man, I'm I'm ready for hunting season. I know I know we've done plenty of podcasts recently about our prep work, and I'm sure there'll be more to come on that and everything. But uh, definitely, definitely feeling the deer season itch at this point here, kind of early to mid August, it seems like. So, yeah. But kind of what I wanted to start our discussion with actually um, is an experience that you just had actually down in my neck of the woods. Um, getting to go on your very first axis deer hunt is my understanding your very first at least 
Um, so kind of wanted to dive in and unpack some of that today on the podcast. I know we were originally kind of sitting on this one for a little bit because we were hoping that we might get your guide uh, to be able to join us, and I still hope that we'll be able to get him on the podcast, but we wanted to go ahead and kind of dive in and unpack some of that, and we, uh, we might also have some more access to your content coming to the podcast in the near future as well, so kind of wanted to lead into all that with your experience and uh, talk about how that went for you. Yeah. Uh, okay. So I actually picked the hunt up from a, uh, Houston Safari club auction uh, a few years ago, a couple years ago now. Um, and you know, I had been a bucket list hunt of mine. Um, something I'd kind of always wanted to do really just intrigued by the access to your hunt. The fact that you hunt them in the middle of the summer. Um, the fact that, you know, they have spots on them, which for a whitetail hunter is kind of crazy to be shooting a deer with spots on it. Yeah. Um, yeah, uh, so it was just something that I'd kind of always wanted to do, had the chance to pick up and not, or uh, hunt on the, the Houston, through the Houston Safari Club and um, went out to a place called Joshua Creek Ranch uh, outside of San Antonio and spent three days out there um, hunting with them. And, man, I had a great time. Um, saw so many deer and you know, just had a great overall experience. That's awesome. Always good to hear, you know, that you that you have a an experience like that, something that you'll remember and and that was enjoyable for you, especially when it, you know, it's a bucket list item and and that kind of thing. So that that's cool. When did this hunt take place specifically? Cuz I know it was a little while ago now. Yeah, I what? I think it was the end of May, like the last May. weekend of May, I think is when I went out. So you got down here before it got too crazy hot, I guess. Or what was the weather like while you were hunting down here? Uh, you know, while I was down here, it was pretty nice. Um, I mean, comparatively for Texas, low to mid nineties during the peak of the day, but evenings and the rest of the day was pretty cool. Awesome. Yeah. That's, that's really good. So kind of, kind of lead us into it. Um, as far as arriving there, kind of your, your expectations versus reality and, and leading into your, your experience down here. Yeah, uh, so I actually had no expectations going into the hunt. Uh, when I purchased the hunt, the only reason that I had sort of decided to go with this outfitter as an option was because it was listed as a free-range hunt and one of the best free-range hunts um, in Texas or in the U.S. And so it really had the opportunity to be a good hunt. Um, then sort of the couple weeks leading up to it, I talked to some friends who had other friends down in Texas and sort of through the grapevine heard that, you know, Joshua Creek was an awesome place to actually have a potential or a shot at a pretty, a shot at a potentially pretty large animal. Um, so to be able to, you know, shoot that trophy class deer that you're looking for, um, yeah. the odds are high out there. Um, and so I kind of went into it with, you know, maybe we'll see a few deer and there'll be some nice ones around, but uh, I just wasn't prepared for the number of deer that were around that place and that I was going to see, um, you know, being used to hunting whitetails in the Midwest, it's, you know, an average season, maybe you see 20 deer walk by your stand. And I think the first night out there, I probably had more than that out walking around. And so it's you know, just fun to see them out there walking for me and to see everything else. Um, a bunch of turkeys, a bunch of ducks. So real cool experience. Awesome. Now were they were the Axis deer pretty, pretty skittish? Because I've I've hunted Axis before, but I actually we went on a like a whitetail hunt that year, 
and it was on a ranch that had access on it and we ended up doing kind of a partial access hunt at the time but we were mainly there for whitetail so all this to say is it was later in the year like in in the fall so i haven't experienced myself even hunting them in the summer what was their behavior like were they were they skittish or were you able to to get on them pretty good sure so they are actually rutting um in may is one of their i guess they have two ruts was the way it was explained to me throughout the hunt um and what the better one is in may um so you see them out there chasing does and you know doing typical buck breeding behavior um also traveling to and from feed so gotcha yeah pretty similar behavior to the whitetails um as far as you know an uneducated person to it would say but yeah pretty similar gotcha very cool so how did how did your hunt transpire because i'm sure i mean obviously if people have clicked on this podcast they've probably seen a, a picture of you with with an axis deer um so they they know that you were successful in your trip how did how did the actual the hunt where you bagged your axis how that transpire yeah uh you know i had actually just gotten settled in at the ranch um and was gonna head out on my first hunt for the evening and as we were driving out to the blind uh, that I was going to sit in that night, you know, we, or I actually spotted this buck chasing this doe, um, probably about 60 yards away from the, where we were driving. Um, so, you know, had an opportunity to make a shot on that. And the guide, I think his exact words were, um, you probably want to shoot that one. <laughs> so, you know, even though it was only like 20 minutes into the hunt and I hadn't even gotten to the stand yet, you know, with you, with a guide who tells you you don't want to pass up that opportunity, you know, it was something that I didn't pass up. And so I shot that buck like 20 minutes into the hunt. Um, yeah, it was, it was awesome. So 20 minutes in, not even to the stand, you put one on the ground. How far was your shot? Uh, I want to say 40 yards, maybe 40 yards. Uh, like I can, I can imagine the excitement, the thrill in the moment, just every, I mean, from the time you get there to this happening, being so fast, you know, ad- adrenaline's pumping, but then what are you, are you bummed that you, that you tag one out so quick or were you, were you happy to walk up on that thing? So, I mean, interesting story, right? I was shooting a seven millimeter, which is, I mean, I don't want to call it overkill for that, but it's definitely a large enough round. Oh yeah. Um, I've been shooting those copper monoliths, so uh, I'm not going to even use the brand name because it doesn't matter, but when you're shooting copper, um, they don't seem to really expand quite as much Mm because they're staying together in one piece, right? So you don't have quite the exit wound that you do when you're shooting traditional lead. Um, So we went up to where I'd shot it, and, you know, when I made the shot, it was quartering away pretty pretty hard, Um, but I still had put that, the crosshairs right between that back shoulder, and um, you know, felt confident in the shot that I had made. Um, and so it took us a little while even to find any blood um, to be able to track it. Uh, so, you know, for a, a few minutes, there was kind of that nerve wracking feeling of, man, I hope I didn't miss. But um, once we found blood, it I mean, overall, it went probably 30 yards, 40 yards before it piled up. Oh, wow. Um, yeah, but I mean, you and I experienced it when we we're out at that, that hunt in San and what san angelo yeah i mean tracking whitetails or even anything tracking blood in that texas hill country is pretty tough just the ground and 
everything. I don't know. I I personally struggle to see blood on it. So man, I, I, and I don't know what it is. Like we, I know we've talked about that over time throughout the podcast and our actually our second podcast episode we ever recorded, episode two, um, or that we published. That is um, was Nick Powell and myself recapping that hunt um, from 2019, but that like the deer didn't bleed and it wasn't just like one or two or just a weird shot here or there. It was bow rifle, everybody all weekend long. The deer just didn't bleed or you couldn't find blood. You just had to wander around till, until you found it. I don't know. It must be a Texas thing or something. You know, if you're having that problem on an axis deer too, holy cow, man, especially the seven mil. Yeah. But I mean, you know, once we got, it was probably 20 minutes or not 20 minutes, 20 yards in, and I mean that wound channel opened up, and you could see where every heartbeat or every breath or whatever it was, there's a big, big spot. And so, yeah, you know, it it just it just kind of proved the point that you got to watch what way they run out, and not really rely on being able to fl- find blood right where you shoot them, but being able to sort of use other things to track it for a little while. And man, that that's probably if I have a weak spot in tracking, that's probably it, because I second guess myself whenever I like I'll. I'll shoot a deer or shoot an animal, whatever it may be, and I'll watch him run into the brush. I'm like, all right, he went right there. And then I'll walk up there, and there's like two trails that I didn't know about. It's like, okay, which one was he on? Was he on this one or this one? And then I start second-guessing everything, and then I have no idea where he even went after that. I just, I don't know. I I lose track of everything if I don't have blood like that, and it just, I don't know. That's probably my weakness as a as a tracker, I can find, I can find blood for you. Like I'll find a speck of blood anywhere, but if there's no blood, find somebody else to find your deer, man. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. And I mean, yeah. So last year I actually had that whitetail that I shot here in the Metro. Oh yeah. Um, we tracked, I think we tracked it a mile and a half, maybe even more before we kind of gave up for the first time. And then I tracked it another couple miles through the, through the uh, cattails and stuff, but you know, man, following just like a drop of blood here or a drop of blood there, or actually just fresh prints in the mud, um, that stuff was way easier for me than being able to track something on that dry, dusty hill country terrain. Where yeah, I mean, there's deer tracks around, but which one is fresh? And that blood just kind of blends in for me on that. Yeah, you know, it's it's not specific to Texas. I have trouble tracking them at points in Minnesota too. I don't know what it is. I just don't see the blood that well. I've had a buddy, actually my buddy Cody, on that metro hunt that we were on last year, where we carried that doe out on our shoulders with that log. Um, after I shot that doe, I had to have him come help me in. I mean, that thing was 20 yards from my stand, and I probably almost saw where it dropped, but you couldn't find any blood to track exactly where it was at. Yeah. Man, we had like even Todd and I when he was down here a couple of weeks ago. Also, you know, for to hunt pigs down here, we had a similar experience. And I know he's talked about it recently on our podcast. But he he had a shot the first evening out there at a at a really nice sized boar. Um, and I think just with uh, with how close that boar was and the rifle he was using, the shot landed a little a little high um, in kind of no man's land on that pig and. And I mean, you can ask Todd. We we wandered around those woods for for quite a while, trying to to find blood or any kind of sign of him. We could see where he turned after the initial shot, but after that, again, like you said, that dry, dusty Texas soil, we couldn't find anything. It was just, and every trail you walk down, as you start walking into the brush, every trail turns into ten more, and there's there's no telling where he went after a certain point, you know. So, 
but anyway, getting back to your getting back to your access book. So this thing this thing buries up and everything. You walk up on those tall Texas tines. What are your thoughts? Um, man, I was surprised. Uh, they're huge. Um, I mean, the body is not much bigger than what I'm used to seeing in a, a really big whitetail buck around here. Um, but the difference in you know antler size is crazy, um, and just how beat up they are from fighting. Uh, from having those two ruts a year and it, it was pretty cool to see all the different scars all over him and on his face on his side and stuff like that that's awesome old warrior yep yep luckily he didn't have any broken tines but you could tell he was a fighter awesome yeah it's always good to kill a dominant mature buck like that that's that's cool <laughs> yeah yeah and then so you know having tagged out that first day right away um I actually just kept hunting as if I still had the opportunity to kill another buck. Um, but I did have the opportunity to kill another doe. So it was a buck and a doe. So I did take that opportunity the second or third night. But, you know, the other times I was just sitting out there recording video, taking pictures, just kind of enjoying being able to be surrounded by deer. Yeah. Um, it was actually a lot nice, a lot nicer. I'd say almost being able to know that the pressure was off. You didn't have to, have to worry about putting one down that it was already done for the trip and just being able to sit back and relax and just enjoy watching everything walk around was a lot of fun that's awesome that was what i was going to ask you next was how you spent the rest of your weekend so glad uh glad you got to make uh make good use of your time for sure so yeah uh you know it's always nice too when you go out and you sit quite a few more times you put a lot some more hours in the sand and you know there's not another one that you would have shot that would have been better than what you shot, you know, even 20 minutes into the hunt. That's kind of the thing that goes through your mind is, man, if I shoot one this early, what if I see one bigger later? Um, and, you know, with the exception of one really cool standout buck that I saw, um, there wasn't even another one that I would have thought about shooting um, the rest of the trip. Just, I mean, they were definitely trophies, right? But it wasn't, point where it was like man i wish i would have shot that one it was like oh that one's probably about the same size as the one i shot that's pretty cool to see that there's definitely a big population out there yeah so it was a lot of fun yeah that's always uh the the interesting side of hunting no matter what it is you know you you take a shot at one early you always have that thought in in the back of your mind but honestly i think if you know un unless you are truly committed to trophy hunting i think if you have a shot on a good deer day one man you know that old saying don't don't pass on the first day what you shoot on the last you know you gotta you, you gotta have that balance you gotta keep that in mind because the last thing you want especially on a hunt where you travel a long way for the last thing you wants to go home empty-handed so. so yeah and i guess the other cool buck that i was looking at the one that you know i was it's definitely like a different kind of trophy it's an interesting deer um the one side was only i don't know maybe four inches five inches long it was just like straight down just a little double hook right back to its huh. like forehead and then the other side was i'm probably three or four inches bigger than the one that i shot but only on that one side he was huge wow um, yeah kind it was of, cool to see it's kind of a cold buck then huh he definitely would have been um but you could tell he was an old fighter too because that same side I don't know if it was a fighting injury or what, but he was missing that eye on that same side. Hmm. So. Wow. Yeah, it probably was then. Wow. So I know you do, 
you like to do a lot of your own processing and stuff. Um, I'm assuming that you did the same. You processed your own meat with this one or uh, I didn't just because I was on a time crunch oh, being man. down there. Uh, so I went with actually there's a place pretty local to Joshua Creek called Cow Creek uh, Processing or Taxidermy. And and they did such an awesome job being able to rush it. They did it almost overnight for me. Wow. Uh, yeah. Got everything, um, you know, trimmed out, muscled out, packaged up, vacuum sealed, and frozen for me. Uh, and then they actually did some uh, the Texas dry links. I guess it's supposed to be some specialty for that that area of the country and so I went with some of that and had them do that and that took a little longer but they shipped that to me um UPS so that was good the rest of it I took home with me on the plane so that was awesome. kind of a first for me too I was gonna ask you how you got it back because we've had some people recently like within the last year that we've encountered or that we've hunted with Mark our, our giveaway hunter from last year Todd um, just a couple weekends ago where I've, you know, it's been interesting watching them fly that meat back to to their their hometowns. So I was gonna, that was another question I was gonna ask is how you transported it. So yeah, uh, I actually went out and got a real nice cooler with like the bear proof coolers with the latches on it, uh, and brought that back. Um, had put what ended up being a hundred pounds of meat in that cooler. Wow. Uh, yeah, but I guess the thing that I learned that day was, you know, Delta on their website says that you can fly with oversized packages and they can be overweight. And it says that they can be both on there, but if you're traveling with an oversized cooler, apparently it can only be 100 pounds. Mm. Uh, so I had to pull 30 pounds of meat out of my cooler while I was checking in my bag and shove it into my carry-on. <laughs> then I'm in the terminal pulling all my stuff out of my bag and putting all the clothes kind of around the edge of my carry-on and the meat in the middle so it kind of act like a cooler. And uh, <laughs> I love when I got home and everything was still frozen and still good, but, man, that was kind of an experience. Yeah, if it's frozen solid, man, it, it'll be all right, you know, for, for for a few hours in the air. So, yeah, that, that's funny, though. <laughs> no, it, was, it was pretty good. Yeah. I laugh because when I just always wonder what these these airport employees think, you know, because because I'm told that oh they see stuff like this more more than you realize, and I'm sure some of them do, but on the flip side, it's like some of them, man, like if it's your first day, I can only imagine, you know, what what you're thinking. Like when when Mark and I when we brought him back to the to the airport, you know, the airport is three hours from the place we were hunting, so we kept the the deer in the coolers until we got to the airport. And we're in the parking garage of the airport with people walking by to get their flights, cops driving by, and we're in the back of my truck in this parking garage moving whole quarters of of a, a white-tailed deer out of the coolers and into these freezer bags and stuff from in his suitcase. It was, it, I mean, I, we got some funny funny side looks as as folks were walking by for sure. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I was definitely getting some funny looks as I was shuffling stuff around in the terminal. Yeah, you know, that's always funny. So, um, kind of moving, moving on from that, um, what, uh, I know you mentioned that you were, you were running a seven mil and everything, any other major gear considerations for this hunt, for this hunt that you went on? Uh, no. So like I mentioned, seven millimeter shooting copper solids. Um, that's just a personal preference. I don't like, I've seen some studies of what shooting lead does and how it can fragment into your meat and 
I just avoid that and shoot copper. Yeah. Um, also in Minnesota now, it's a regulation that we have to shoot non-toxic on public land. Hmm. So as far as shooting copper out of slug guns and stuff like that, that's becoming mandatory here in Minnesota as well. So it's just kind of good common practice to have everything standardized. Gotcha. Um, yeah, uh, I guess other gear wasn't really critical. Spent a lot of time sitting in box blinds. So, you know, just a camo shirt or a black shirt even. Um, and water to stay hydrated. Yeah. Yeah. And for me, a lot of camera batteries and camera equipment and things like that to be able to sit and shoot film and video and stuff like that. So. Heck yeah. So you shot a buck and a doe. How, uh, what's the taxidermy work going to look like when it's all said and done? I, man, I was really close to doing, they call it a head on hide for the axis buck. So this still like they do them for coyotes and stuff is probably a more popular way of doing it. But essentially it'd be the, the antlers and the full stuffed skull um, attached to the cape still, but ended up just going with just a cape for both the, the buck and the doe. And then I did a European mount like I do for everything else for the axis buck skull. And that, that buck would have made a very cool shoulder mount in my opinion, looking at the size of them. But man, those axis on the Euro mounts, man, they look bad to the bone. It's, it's pretty sweet. sweet. Yeah. Yeah. Well, awesome. That's cool, man. Very, very neat. Um, any other kind of, I know you just killed, killed those two while you're down there, but what other, what other kind of wildlife did Joshua Creek have on, on the place? Man, I missed a chance at a fallow, it was a chocolate fallow dough. Ooh. Yeah, um, pulled into one of the food plots there, the feeders there, and happened to be one standing out. And it ran off before we could get set up on it, but it went and sat in that sand and never came back. And then um, saw it again later, but never really had a shot at it. Gotcha. Well, cool. It's always fun to see what they have on, on these ranches down here in Texas. Always some cool critters running around, so... Yeah, that, that one was actually a surprise for them. It must have come on from a neighboring property. It was something they hadn't seen hmm. at all before. So. Interesting. Very cool. Well, um, experience that you'd recommend if somebody else had the opportunity? Hands down, yeah. And even more so if you're looking to take somebody who has never hunted before out. Um, Joshua Creek's a four-star resort. It's got swimming pool, hot tub, nice kitchen, big like cantina bar outside wow um yeah you know my one of the nights that i was there they did a big steak fry they had live music and yeah it was wow man i'm telling you like this place was really nice it was compared to elk camp it was totally night and day (laughs) and beds and showers and hot tubs and yeah (laughs) so how many hunters do they have in camp at a time I was the only one there. What? You had the whole place yeah. to yourself? I had the entire place to myself. There was like, so it is like a private game farm, right? And there's some people. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> Can we hold on a second? I got to let him out. <laughs> if you guys are watching the, uh, watching the podcast video, rewind it a second. Dog just jumped about four feet in the air behind Drew. That was funny. <laughs> <laughs> uh yeah, no, like I was saying, though, so it's a sort of a private 
game farm, they do a lot of bird hunting out there and all these people that have memberships can go there in the summertime as well for the social events and swimming wow. in the creek and all this stuff. So, you know, there were some people there doing that, taking advantage of that. But for the most part, it was pretty quiet around there. Yes. So many folks, man. I mean, you, you talk about just hunting ranches and stuff and a lot of folks think of, you know, fall or spring turkey or stuff like that as you know and i'm sure as we all would assume that's a busy time for these outfitters and everything that's when camps like that are probably full but and it, it just hearing the little bit i just heard about it, it sounds like they have a, a pretty well established year-round operation with a bunch of different stuff going on so that's pretty cool yeah i was talking to the guide and he said something about and the number of birds that they hunt out there during an average season is it's crazy um it, it was over 10 times the amount that we do at the game farm here that i hunt at in wow. minnesota and it just the volume of that in order to have that you know the number of hunts that have to go out every day um that's pretty amazing so it'd be interesting to see that portion of that the business as well yeah how big is the place uh they're sitting on 1600 acres wow yeah that that's that's crazy that they they can run an operation like that with uh w- with even just sixteen hundred acres like that that's impressive that that's well managed I can imagine so yeah it sounds like you know they've run three hunts a day very scheduled very sort of regimented and they just cycle through people and it sounds like they put a lot of birds up and have some really phenomenal hunts out there and sounds like people have a pretty good time yeah for sure wow that's amazing well i know like i mentioned at the very beginning we we want to have your guide and and somebody from down there on the podcast we we originally we kind of held on to this episode a little bit because we wanted to we wanted to give him that opportunity and stuff but we went ahead and and jumped on at least you telling your side of the story but we're definitely still going to try to have somebody from joshua creek join us on on our podcast here to to talk more in depth about that operation it's very i'm very intrigued by it for sure look looking forward to hearing more about it so yeah i think that would definitely be a great great podcast to have those guys on i mean man what a great group of guys as far as you know, entertaining, nice guys, but super knowledgeable about everything that was going on. They knew so much about the deer. They knew a ton about all the different aspects of the property management that they were doing and were just willing to share and talk about all that stuff. So, yeah, it was a pretty enjoyable experience. Awesome. Very, very cool. Well, man, I'm, I'm, glad, uh, I'm glad you got to experience that, have a, you know, check off a bucket list hunt, you know, off of, off of your... Uh, your list and everything that's that's pretty neat and uh hopefully your next trip to texas we can get you on texas dirt and shoot some pigs so that'd be fun yeah that'd be a lot of fun yeah and you know you talk about checking it off if anything all it did was make me want to go back and do it again so man i don't know that i I checked anything off as much as i just found a new sort of passion (laughs) yeah (laughs) a, a new uh annual or biannual trip or something like that you know yeah that that'd be yeah That'd be cool. I, uh, it's funny how stuff kind of changes like that. Cause originally, you know, that was, that was my thought on pronghorn, you know, years ago was bucket list getting to kill an antelope. And now it's something that we put in for every single year, you know? And yeah, it's same thing. It's just another itch that you want to scratch now. So. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Speaking of antelope, 
fuzzier. You didn't get drawn, and I know Andy didn't get drawn, and I know Sam or or uh, Nick didn't get drawn, and I know a few of the other people that I've talked to are not hopeful that they'll get drawn, even for the rifle hunt later. Um, yeah, it's man. sounds like they cut back hundreds of tags or thousands of tags actually, and just kind of really scaled back the hunt because of the drought out there. Yeah, I'm I'm pretty bummed, man. This is third year in a row now that I haven't haven't been successful, so I'm pretty pretty bummed about that. I'm gonna have to find something else to do out of state. Maybe even I I really need to get online and look at some over the counter stuff. Just period end of story for some some states kind of in the in the north or even even closer down here or something trying to figure something out because i'm i'm itching to take a trip this year man i, I need to make something happen so but yeah I, i'm saying i haven't heard of anybody being successful on that pronghorn tag yet and i don't know it's gonna be interesting to see how that unfolds and in future years i'm hoping to make it back up there hopeful every year but so far no luck so yeah you know as it disappointing as disappointing as it is not to get drawn for that tag it I think it'd be even more disappointing to get out there and have the tag, spend all the effort getting there and just not be seeing the animals because they're not around. Yeah. You know, just competing with other hunters for animals that aren't even there would be super frustrating. So to that point, I, I you know, I'm, I'm kind of happy to hear that people aren't getting drawn because really the, the habitat and the, the population can't really support it from what I'm being heard. You know, yeah. I've heard a lot of stories from property owners out there that this year's recruitment um, really struggled last year's recruitment was pretty terrible and you know those young antelope just can't survive the drought like the older ones can they can't make it water to hold the water holes and those greater distances that the bigger ones can so they're at least to come into that drought earlier on yeah yeah Un- unfortunate to see it's a dry year for sure so hopefully that can get hopefully that gets turned around here pretty soon so we'll see well, man, anything else you want to hit on or add um, before we before we wrap this one up? Uh, yeah, no, I don't have any other topics to, to hit on. I think we've covered it pretty well today. Yeah. Well, again, good good to talk to you about that. And actually, uh, I know we mentioned in a previous episode, you're going to start hosting some podcast episodes up there. You When we got off on that little rabbit trail about blood trailing, you talked about a deer that... Uh, that you had an experienced blood trail in last year and um, a guy that actually helped you track that. I believe you told me that um, he's going to be an upcoming guest that you're going to, you're going to record with up there in the North um, here, here coming up in the next few weeks. So looking forward to having that episode on here. Um, Maybe shed some more light. Something we've, we really haven't talked about a whole lot is is tracking deer and stuff on this podcast. So that'll be, that'll be interesting to, to have that content available. So looking forward to it. Yeah. It, it's something that, you know, we just just had the opportunity to start taking advantage of here in Minnesota last year. Um, so it's something that we're kind of learning to work with as well up here. So, yeah, I'm looking forward to that podcast um, and getting that recorded. Absolutely. Very cool. Well, for our listeners, thank you all for tuning in to another podcast episode. Hope you guys enjoyed. Wherever you might be tuning in from, we're on all major podcast apps follow and subscribe on whichever one's your favorite if you haven't already our podcasts are also available on um, the waypoint tv app which is a uh, basically a free streaming service for hunting shows and podcasts and stuff like that so if you don't have the waypoint tv app make sure you go download it and follow fall obsession podcast on there Um, our podcasts are also 
uh, the videos we publish on our YouTube channel, so be sure you follow and subscribe to our YouTube channel. Um, we have plenty of other types of content that we're rolling out right now. Our new series, Couch Chats, um, just kicked off. We got some awesome content, and we're developing that project and everything. Going to be some good discussions that we have through that. Our Texas Dirt series was something that I'm very passionate about down here uh, as far as our land management down here in Texas. Um, that's a series that we're cranking up season two on right now, so go go check that out. And we actually have another My Obsession uh, episode um, where we showcast some, uh, some kind of down-to-earth hunters that you probably wouldn't hear about otherwise if, uh, if we didn't get them on our, our My Obsession series and talk about kind of their journey and their story into hunting. We got another episode of that in, in, the, in the shoot right now and in the editing room, so looking forward to, to sharing that with you guys. All as I say, lots of awesome content on our YouTube. Be sure that you go subscribe to that. Fall Obsession Podcast is also on um, the Outdoor Call Radio app. Our Outdoors Dan over there is a good friend of Larry McCoy and the folks over at Elite Archery and everything. Um, he runs a, a radio show and a radio app where he uh, streams different hunting shows and podcasts and stuff from the industry, and we've gotten set up with his network, and so we're we're streaming every Monday on uh, on a loop on his app, so be sure you go download that app in your app store. Social media, Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, all the, the normal spots, go follow Fall Obsession. We post daily, and we got uh, frequent deals and uh, promotions and stuff that we're trying to, to run and roll out. We're also on Go Wild app, which is a censorship-free app for hunters and outdoorsmen. Be sure you guys check that out. And fallobsession.com is our website and the hub. That's where you can find all of our content. We've built a custom website to be able to share that in various avenues with you guys, whether it's our video series, our podcast, educational articles, wild game recipes, gear reviews, a bunch of other stuff. We we literally have covered hundreds of different topics and, and discussion points in the in the outdoor and hunting world since we launched this thing so head on over to fallobsession.com and explore check out our apparel support a small hunting brand and pick you up a hat or a t-shirt something like that we've got frequent deals on our apparel going on as well and our podcast is driven by our friends over at ridge rock hunt company Derek and Lacey over in mississippi they book hunts with vetted and trusted outfitters guarantee a good experience so whatever you're looking to hunt wherever you're looking to hunt whenever you want to do it give Derek a call he'll help get you squared away get you set up and find something that'll work for you in your time frame and in your budget. Um, again, with a vetted and trusted outfit outfitter. So go check out Ridge Rock Hunt Company. Did I miss anything, Drew? I think you got it all. Yeah, all in one breath. Golly. <laughs> <laughs> all right, man. Well, looking forward. We'll have uh, to the next episode. We'll have some awesome content coming in your future on here, and uh, looking forward to to you hosting some episodes up there too with some special guests. So those will be coming soon. So. Thanks for uh, thanks for sharing your Texas Texas experience with us today. I enjoyed it. Yeah, anytime. All right, guys. Thank y'all for listening. We're back again next week, as always, with another Fall Obsession podcast episode. We'll catch you then. Mm-hmm.